greatest uh, uh, thrill or the greatest joy to be gotten out of the those early uh, uh, 1960s anthology uh, uh, Marvel comics, the inking of Matt Fox. I don't know. Yeah, no. He he inked. Usually, it was over Larry Lieber's pencils. They're very unusual. You know them instantly when you see them. They've got this kind of like almost a woodcut quality, like hmm. as if you did like a lithograph or a woodcut printing. I'll uh, I'll 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 find some, or maybe I'll uh, post a uh, if if this uh, segment of the conversation makes it into the podcast proper, I'll include a uh, panel. Oh, cool! As a as a, as an example in the yeah, post. Exactly. But Look. but he did not do much after that. Like he never inked a proper Marvel universe. Uh, really? Uh, comic. So he's like an Atlas only guy. Yeah, only Atlas, and I didn't think he did that much work. The only place I've ever seen him is in some of those standalone tales. In like, like basically, if 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 I'm reading like one of the early Journey into Mysteries, okay, or 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 Tales of Suspense with like Iron Man or whatever, um, the backup stories were still the standalones, and some of them were inked by Matt Fox, like I said, usually over Larry Lieber's pencils, and just unique, and and so like, man, did I want to see more of it? And you know, then he either died or he retired or whatever. I don't know. It's, it's, yeah, maybe it's he was the one had a successful career outside of comics. And I think he did actually. He's the one who's was, like, I'm making a million dollars a year. I don't need to do this crap. Exactly, that could be too. I think he did have a, 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 a I wouldn't say lucrative, but certainly a, a a perfectly serviceable. I believe I read he had a perfectly serviceable uh, uh, first career day job as an illustrator. Okay, so commercial that could be illustrator or whatever. But there we go. But we're rolling. So hello, world, and welcome to uh, issue three. Yes. Of the Four Color Fanboys podcast, I'm Brian Zeno. I'm Al. Hi, Internet. And uh, and we're here to discuss comic books and comic news and all sorts of things to, uh, related to those delightful. I was going to say delightful um, magazine-like things that we read, but I've it's been over a year now that I've been all digital, so I don't even I don't even do magazines <laughs> anymore. So for me, do you want to know what the last actual physical comic I bought was? What uh, was was? And I wish I could even. Remember. I don't think it has a name. Um, it was a boneyard, uh, indie uh, boneyard by uh, uh, Richard. Um, oh gosh, okay, I didn't. I came ill prepared for today's podcast. Corbin? Um No, no. Um, there's a. Yeah. It was. It was. Uh, uh, I won't even spend time on it. But it was. It was. It was. It, it's indie. Um, it was published, I believe, by Antarctic Press, and it does not. Uh, uh, he never went digital. Oh wow! I do not believe any of the now complete run of Boneyard plus this sort of post. Antarctic Press, as in, is that the Gold Digger? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, I did not, uh, uh, but the, it was completely independent, and it was brilliant, and I loved it to death. And he put out a little one-shot special about a year ago, and I had to go to uh, Jim Hanley's Universe in New York City to buy it, and uh, which I did. But that's the last physical magazine, comic magazine I bought. Everything else for the last year, year and a half. Uh, two years, uh, basically since the end of Avengers vs. X-Men, has been uh, all digital. Yeah, I'd say about half of my reading is digital, at least, if not more. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Well, it's easy and convenient. It, that it is, and it doesn't take up any room. But anyway, oh, we're yeah. uh, let's let's get into the comics proper. Yes. So uh, we're going to start, as we always do, with the pull list, the new stuff that we're reading, the stuff that's come out within the last month since the last podcast. And I'm going to lead it off because most exciting news, fabulous news, Saga is back. Uh, if you're not reading Saga, um, it, uh, they, it's very convenient. They run in six-issue arcs. So the way that writer Brian K. Vaughn, brilliant, and artist Fiona Staples, even more brilliant, uh, do their uh, thing. They'll do six issues, 
which will then be collected into a trade paperback. But then after the sixth issue is released to newsstands, they will take a break. And that's great. That allows them to recharge their batteries and sort of keeps them from overdosing. So they do it kind of almost like a miniseries. Like, no, actually, like a TV, it's like a short TV series, like a British TV like series. Like a season. Like yeah, a season. But, like, here's but, six episodes. Here's the six. Great. Okay. We'll be back in a few months. Here's the next six. Um, that is mostly the way it works, but it also needs to be pointed out that each six-issue arc is not really standalone. It's really like the – they're more like episodes, if you will, because the, after six issues, nothing's really been wrapped up. Nothing's been tied up. It's just, okay, here's where – actually, and I tell a lie because after the last regularly published issue, which was number 18 um, – we did uh, get the indication right in the last page that we were going to fast forward a couple of years. And 19 actually just came out recently. 19, and that's what is my lead here, is that Saga is back, number 19 is out, and it's as good as ever. I mean, really, they've established such a level of quality. You t- look, if you look on the internet and you talk to a lot of, uh, you look at the reviewers, you look at the commentators, um, comics should be good, uh, comic book resources, Newsarama, um, Bleeding Cool, any of these websites that talk about comic books, and you ask them, what is you know what are the comics that people must be reading right now? They, I see that a lot. Saga you know, Saga lot. comes in like top three, top five in almost everybody's list, and I resisted it for a long, long time. I only started reading it right around issue when issue thirteen or fourteen came out, and the reason I resisted it is because Brian K. Vaughn and I have a. Uh, contentious ideological relationship um i've read the i he's an excellent he would say did he give you a wedgie what's he mean he well no 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 he wasn't no he's a perfectly lovely human being and (laughs) and if he ever listens to this a i will be thrilled because i am a fan of his writing after a fashion um and i think he's a perfectly lovely human being and 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 brian if you're listening um i uh i have no problem with you on a personal level i love you to death um, the thing of it is, is that he he is a man who puts his um, worldview into his writing, and that's what makes him a good writer. And I respect it. Don't get me wrong; I respect it immensely. But his worldview and mine are not always a hundred percent simpatico. Not to put too fine point on it, I would say my worldview is a bit more uh, conservative than his. Um, and okay. a couple, and that has led him to put a couple of scenes, a couple of points into his works, most notably into um, uh, some of his issues of Runaways or some of his, uh, specifically some of the early issues of Why, Why the Last, Last Man. Man. That's what I was thinking of. Um, that uh, just they don't jibe with the way I think the world works, oh, and that's so not, that's bound to happen because not every writer is going to be the same as. What and if you only is. read people that you um, um, agree with, that's going to lead to a very small, tiny um, worldview. Uh, worldview, and it won't expand your worldview, and it won't give you a lot to read, frankly, because if you're if you're vetting, There's not many. Writers. Plus, at least if you're reading something that you disagree with, Lones is at least written intelligently and not just stupid crap. We're going to talk about intelligent writing. Exactly. Either A, it can give you some questions to at least wonder and maybe expand your bit, your worldview. Exactly. Or at the very least, you know what? You will if you realize that you still disagree with it, but at the very least, you know what? It might give you a better way to argue your point. Right. Because when someone just says, well, this is the way it should be and that's it, I'm yeah. like, okay, that's nice. Go play in the corner because you're a mo- whatever your view is, whether you agree with me or not, you're kind of a moron. We can't talk about it. Yeah. We cannot discuss it. Give me it. a reason why. If you're going to convince me that I'm right. wrong, right. 
give me a reason beyond because. Because right. I'm not five and you're not my mother and you're <laughs> exactly. not telling me that's why I should not put a fork in the electric socket. Exactly. Precisely. So, so Vaughn uh, has on occasion, like, I wouldn't say rubbed me the wrong way, but certainly been a little jarring. I've been a little like, ooh, I don't know about that kind of a yeah. thing. So then um, I read the, they put last year's free comic book day, and we're going to get to talking about ah. this year's free comic book yes. day. I believe it was last year's free comic book day. One of the things they put out was the first issue of Saga. Okay. And I'd heard so much about it. I read it. And the thing of it was, it was so nicely written. And the art is fabulous, fantastic. But there is sort of bubbling along underneath the story a bit of that Vaughn sort of thing that wasn't 100% like comfortable for me I guess is the word I would use so it wasn't that it was like I'm never going to read this but it was always like oh I don't know and when choosing where to spend my comic book dollar I did sort of shy away or put my money elsewhere if there's stuff you're like eh not bad right and stuff you're like awesome yeah you usually go towards the awesome towards the awesome but then after again and then yet more as the year as last year progressed more and more and more uh, people were mentioning Saga. We're talking about Saga in the glowingest of terms. So finally, I gave in, okay. and I bought the first two trades. Sell out. I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> so I bought the first two <laughs> trades, and I love the face off them. The fact of the matter is, yes, Vaughn's worldview is there, but it's so well told and so expansive. And believe it or not, it does sort of leave space within it for other people to come in and meet it. And it might be easier because, and I had this conversation with somebody there last night, that it's sci-fi. It's yes. not current now Earth America. True. Which is where we are. Right. We are exactly. now. That's where we are here. We're not then. In the year 2014. Yes. Um, but it's sci-fi. And you can kind of do those things with sci-fi a bit because it's not your world and you can kind of view it a bit more as an outsider. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And therefore exactly. you can like be accepting a bit more or at least see it as, well, here it works. Even if you still don't think it works where you are, it can kind of work a bit there because... That's a completely fictional world, not just a fictional version of your world. Exactly. Exactly. So anyway, it is a gorgeous, lovely comic, both in the writing and the art. Both the creators are clearly insanely passionate about it, and that comes through, too. Usually a project like that that is a that is a passion project, a project of love. And you get a lot of those from Image, especially these days. Oh, yeah. Image is rocking the world right now, even more than the early days when it was a lot of Spawn, a lot of Savage Dragon, Wildcats, those days. Supreme Brigade. Yeah. It's uh, like now... Blood something. Blood uh, Strike. Blood Strike, you know, a cyber force. Blood Strike. Feel the blood on the cover. I remember that. Yeah. But now, now, I mean, when you now it's so much stuff. Sex criminals and East of West and um, uh, witch doctor, witch doc- like so many good passion projects are going are coming no, from image these awesome days. Stuff. If you're an indie guy, you can get yourself yeah. into image. You're that's good. Yeah, and and so many writers that I like in other southern ways. bastards. Yeah. Um, so That's many writers one. that I love. Is that uh, Aaron's? Jason Aaron's? Yes. And I just love him. So, so many people who, who get that, that is, a, I, I just respect the face of it. But anyway, so if, if you're not reading Saga, the basic, the basic premise is it takes place in a part of the universe where there is a planet called Landfall and a moon called Wreath. The inhabitants of Landfall are winged. 
the inhabitants of Reef uh, and very scientific. The inhabitants of Landfall are winged and very scientific. The inhabitants of, of Reef, the moon, have horns, no wings, and tend to be more magically oriented. For reasons lost to the veils of history, the, the passage of history, these two worlds have been at war since time immemorial, and their war has expanded. They don't want to blow up their own planet, so they basically farm the combat out to <coughs> outside worlds that, that they control. And so you take in a lot of outside planets and peoples who are... Um, um, really uh, 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 not, not the primary combatants, but whose lives are affected negatively yeah, that's where the war by is. this war. I mean, the under, one of the powerful underlying currents of this is basically, war is bad, okay? And, you know, we can kind of get behind that to that a one, certain I'm, extent. I'm um, fine with that one. So, right. So, anyway, um, uh, a woman from Landfall named Alana and a guy from uh, Reef named Marco, she's a guard, he's a prisoner of war. They fall in love and run away together and basically forces, um, governmental forces and agencies on both Landfall and Reef lose their shit. I'm okay using the adult language because it is plentiful in Saga. Yes, I've heard. And so basically Marco and Alana go on the run with their new love child baby daughter named Hazel. And who is kind of the narrator from the far future. She sort of narrates. So we know she uh, lives at least. Yeah, at least to to the point where she can uh, 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 write and narrate her parents' story. And um, uh, basically, so it's the story of them. It's the story of the people they meet, their allies. It's the story of the various people who are pursuing them, not all of whom are unsympathetic bastards. And it's just so many good characters, so many good uh, situations, such a good narrative, so well told. And frankly, um, uh, issue 19, which starts the new arc and sort of jumped us forward a couple of years in the narrative. And issue 19 uh, ends on a holy shit moment, cliffhanger <laughs> sort of moment. And it was like, F you, Vaughn, F you, Staples, F you, Hazel. And um, just so good. And so basically, my uh, long story short, and I wrap up my poll list for this month with this. If you're not reading Saga, effing read it. It really is as good as everybody says. So, Ironically, this week on, mm-hmm. I actually bought a, something on Comicology because remember last time we were talking about the, the changes over? Yes. And for yes, me, it didn't affect Amazon, as much because yeah. I read it on my laptop. Right. And all for me, the only change was I got a $5 gift card. Yes. <laughs> Which I did too. Yes. But I didn't have to deal with any issues of <laughs> buying stuff separately because right. I don't buy it on an app. The first trade of Saga was two bucks. There you go. I bought it. I haven't read it yet, but I do have it now. Well, we will reconvene. In ne- perhaps in next month's long boxes, we'll talk about Maybe, uh, your But I can see what you're saying now about the being it different because if they were de- he did it here and now, mm-hmm. I mean, I guess how would it respond people be if it was a story about, uh, let's say, a guard at Guantanamo Bay right. and a Muslim, you know, a prisoner, a Muslim prisoner there uh-huh. running away together. Right, exactly. Because but then you would have to get into issues of Islamism and, you know, uh, uh, prisoner, you know, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. It's about current religions, about Catholic and Muslim and right. all this stuff. And yeah. how does that work? But... And are they really, is that person a terrorist or are they, like they part of 9-11 or whatever? Mm-hmm. Exactly. You know, or vice versa. Is this person a guard a, you know, torturer? You know, they, mm-hmm. are they breaking, you know, our constitution basically? Right, or the Geneva Convention? Yes. Are they adhering to international law? But in, the, but in this thing, they can do that. Right. And, and the it's nice not thing, here. The nice thing is in the concept, one of the supporting characters who winds up being present in the story is uh, Marco's mother. 
mm. uh, Alana's mother-in-law. They have an interesting relationship, and uh, given that you know the mother-in-law's world is at war yeah. with Alana's world, um, but uh, Alana, uh, the mother-in-law, whose name I, I wish I could remember now, and I, I can't right off the top of my head, but she is given uh, the vo- she gives voice to some of the uh, to the viewpoint that war is occasionally necessary or not necessary, but sometimes you know unavoidable. This thing, these things happen, and you know it's just because you're a pacifist doesn't you know just that just rolling over and letting them stomp on you is a good choice, you know. And she gives voice to that, and that's what I mean by Vaughn has created space in this story for clearly he is presenting a certain point of view but other voices do get a respectful amount of space within this story and that's something that I like immensely okay. about it but it isn't insanely political it's not it's not insanely ideological except insofar as Vaughn and Staples do always bring their worldviews to anything yes. they write but it still is an amazing read and I just love it to death and I can't wait for issue 20 so okay. that's my pull list for this week uh, for this month yes. <laughs> this week for this month. Al, what you got? Well, like you said, you mentioned Free Comic Book Day. Yes, it was Free Comic Book Day. I did not get to participate because I was in the woods camping. Ah. And there were no comic book stores in the forest. Really? Really. I tell, I, I shit you not, no comic book stores in the forest mm. I was in. There might be another forest, but where I That's was... That's a market to tackle now. Interesting. <laughs> Welcome to the Pine Tree Comic Book Kiosk. Don't sell the rabbits. They never pick up their box. They never oh, pick up their reserves. They, and, they, and they only want to read Batman anyway. Yeah. Frickin' rabbits. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so what you got? Well, I What'd you a, pick up? What'd you pick up? This? I picked up a bunch of things. I only had a chance to read a few so far, but okay. I picked up a few things. Uh, we'll start off with, there's uh, one company. I thought they were new, but they seem to have been around for a little bit. I looked them up, called Red Giant Entertainment. Okay, never heard of them. Me either. Um, they actually released little bundles. Oh, nice. Of like five or six, like four or five books. I only had a chance to read two of them so far. They're all called Giant Size Something. Giant uh-huh. Size, the two I have here are Giant Size Thrills and Giant Size Fantasy. Oh, sweet. And I they're like also the, uh... all flip books. Oh, nice. So it kind of like brings you back a bit to the old Marvel, you know, 60s uh, Tales of Suspense where you could read Captain America and Iron Man or mm-hmm. uh, Tales of Astonish, which have Hulk and Submariner. I, I mean, I immediately thought of a Journey into Mystery once they started Tales of Asgard. Yes. So you got your th- main Thor feature, and then you had your Tales, of, uh, Asgard Tales of Asgard backup feature, which was serialized in its own yes. right. So it looks like a co- I thought at first it was just a company that was trying to start something new, but they're pondering out like five or six titles. Mm-hmm. But beyond this, I don't know what else they're coming out with. I looked up their website. I like the name. It's Dual, as in Fight a Duel, but it's Dual Identity. Yeah. I like that. And um, it looks like it's a company that's already trying to do... I don't know. I got the feeling that they're trying to be a bit like cross-gen and try to do a little too much too fast because they're trying mm. to be like, here's our mission statement. We're trying to do a bunch of comics and we want to do movies and we want to do the movies. And a little over ambitious. The comics and the movies. And, but there's a, and they have a lot of comics listed. Most of them just say in production. Yeah. So I don't know what's actually coming out. And the only things I know of theirs that have actually been out besides the free comic day stuff is a few books that came out years ago. Like, and I don't know if they were, they were, company was existing then or if they just bought it like stuff like buzz boy that i've heard of okay or uh i can't remember the name of it but it was by uh, i remember coming out like in the early 2000s it was drawn by al rio that name sounds familiar yeah and i can't remember the name of the book now unfortunately but um it was out then and this I'd... is the problem with being aging comic book fanboys you forget a lot yeah <laughs> 
But I will say this: some of their stuff was interesting. Dual mm-hmm. identities about a woman who apparently is like the world's best superhero mm-hmm. during the day, and then at night. And I'm not really sure if it's a whole personality switch because mm-hmm. that wasn't clear. She becomes, according to their website, she becomes a spy. Oh, but in the book, it kind of read a bit more like. She was an assassin for hire. Okay. So there's a little bit of disconnect there. Like that, it, when people, like a lot of people do think, you know, that, that that sort of, I love spy fiction and I do see a lot of um, uh, people who conflate or confuse um, espionage with assassination. And, yeah, sometimes and that does happen, but that's not. Mercenaries. Yeah. So that was a little weird. Uh, this one wasn't bad. Pen, other side, Pandora's blog, although I'm not sure the point of it. <laughs> I mean, it was a. I didn't get the point when I read it. It was about a girl who has a blog and her mom works for some doctor. Her mom is this doctor, who, of course, they draw really hot. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. that's one it's thing a comic I did. Book, yeah. That's one thing I did notice on their cover, on the thing when they showed all their properties, is like, wow, there's a lot of half naked, you know, mm-hmm. chicks here. But um, apparently, she deals with people, she deals with people who have a extreme, bizarre diseases. And this one guy has a disease where his skin's becoming like very rocky-like or like mm-hmm. very uh, calcified okay she gave him some treatments and he ended up looking really hot and he he ended up running you know leaving the compound that he was in to like go dance with this girl and apparently he should have stayed to get more injections because his condition ended up rapidly getting worse and he ended up looking like a gargoyle ah. and the story ends with him basically being permanently frozen as a gargoyle i don't know if he's dead or not huh. but he can't move anymore now Huh. And now, according to the description, she's going to find out that there's a bunch of people with these disease, you know, diseases causing like different magical type uh, reactions. That's a bit more interesting. You know, this I think if I saw this one, this one I might be interested more in picking up. Mm-hmm. It intrigued you enough to follow yeah. to, to continue following. And the other one, Giant Size Thrills, was on Shadow Children about kids who apparently were abused and taken by this kind of creepy looking, almost. Uh, Green Goblin-looking uh, yeah. creature yeah. to this magical world for safety, and apparently, I'm not really sure whether he's a good guy or not because just looking at him, he he doesn't say anything to them that's wrong. Mm-hmm. In fact, he's talking to somebody else and just says, "No child has ever been harmed here." Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they're just going. So, I, and this is not saying a fault. I'm just saying hmm, I don't know if he's supposed to be just looking scary, but he's really the good guy, or if he actually does have a nefarious plan. But these, so they're not giving. So what I'm getting from you they're is that they're not little, giving you in. Like they're teasing you, but they're not really giving you enough to like really get into the story. Yeah, but interesting enough, I might. I don't know. I might pick up one of them if I see. But mm-hmm. I'm not rushing. Mm-hmm. But wasn't bad. Okay. And for free, I'm not complaining. Exactly. Free comic book day hey, does give you that freedom to. I mean, come on, they give a bundle of like five books. So I'm like, all right, you know what? Hey, they're at least trying. Mm-hmm. You know, they 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 gave you stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Guardians of the Galaxy free comic book issue was fun. Was fun. Well, who wrote it? That was it Bendis? Bendis? Yes. Okay, so I wasn't sure if, if he had... Uh... Yeah, I mean, it's short because there's three stories in here. And Rick Bradshaw and Scott Hanna did the uh, art. Nick, okay. Nick Bradshaw, yeah. Nick yeah. Bradshaw. Did this I say the... Rick Bradshaw? Yeah. I don't know why This story is what introduces Venom to Guardians uh, of the Galaxy. Oh, see, now I needed to read that. I did not get it out. Like I said, I was I was in the woods on a, on a, a, oh, a free go, comic book day. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, oh, yeah. I will. It's, a, it's because, a nice little primer. Right, and then the next, like, so the next issue of Guardians of the Galaxy that I bought, because I have been reading the regular ongoing series, one issue they were, I think they were dealing, uh, I believe... The, they wrapped up the trial, their involvement in the trial of Gene. And then, next, you know, there's the very next story. Um, uh, uh, Venom is hanging out with Drax, I think, in a in a in a in a yeah. marketplace somewhere. And I'm like, how did Venom? And then, of course, there was a nice little knock on uh, with uh, uh, um, uh, 
uh, I don't know if you read uh, Amazing Spider-Man number two, which also uh, came out this month. No, not yet. But uh, Peter Parker is catching up on what happened while he I, was out. I just found out, apparently he found out, is that where he finds out? That, that Flash, Flash is, is Venom and he loses his shit. And then he's like, so where is he? I need to talk to him. Well, he's kind of in space. He joined the Guardians of the Galaxy. Like, what? <laughs> it was great. I won't go into it because I think I've used up my pull list time, but frankly, Amazing Spider-Man number two was better than Amazing Spider-Man number one. The f- series is firing on all cylinders. Loved it. So oh, I still do need to read that. But yeah, yeah, no, that was a fun story. It's a nice intro for the Guardians because it's Tony Stark telling him who all they all are, of course. Oh, nice. Okay. And Flash going, wait, it's a raccoon? We don't call him raccoon. He doesn't like that. What do you mean? He talks? <laughs> oh, that's all he does is talk. <laughs> Blam, murdered you. Yeah. Or he's like, oh, the tree. Like, oh, does the tree talk too? Well, all he says is, I am Groot. Mm-hmm. Wait, I was kidding. The tree talks. <laughs> oh, see, see, and that's why fun. I love Ben. There's because also the dialogue. The yeah. dialogue. There's also a bit of. There's also a couple pages from the uh, upcoming Thanos Infinity Infinity Revelations graphic novel coming out in August, and that's being now written and drawn by Starlin. So he did. They did manage to follow through on that because I heard that there was some issues as between as Starlin know, and Marvel. That was definitely coming out because, in fact, it deleted and comes out this week, mm-hmm. uh, the 28th, of okay. the Thanos Annual. Okay. Which is at least written by Starlin, if not written and drawn by Starlin. Now, let me ask you something because I've never heard his name actually said. In my mind, when reading about him, I've always said Thanos. Is it Thanos or is it Thanos? Like, have you heard him in a cartoon or in a, uh, some other... He has been in some cartoons. I can't remember, and I know I honestly say both, depending on the moment. Okay, fair enough. Fair enough. No, I just, I've never heard it said, and I just was wondering, you know... I think I go Thanos more. Okay. I generally go with Thanos more, but I do say Thanos. Okay, I just, I just wondering if I've been saying it wrong. Because I actually just found out that I've been saying John Buscema's wrong name wrong all these oh, years. Oh, Busima. It's, I've been saying Busima my whole life, and I was literally just heard, a, I heard a Brian Bendis's a, a, a TED Talk, and I think Bendis is one who would know since he's been working at Marvel for 15 years now. Yeah, you would hope. He knows it. Um, he knows, and he called him John Buscema, and I'm assuming that applies also to Sal Buscema and Stephanie Buscema. Yes. And so now I discovered I've been saying their names wrong yeah, the, entire last, for years too. the entire last 40 years of my life. I've been saying their name wrong. Anyway, carry on with your... Uh, uh, with, there's, with your... Oh, there's also a prequel for, or at least the first story for the Spider-Verse. Oh, which I am so We're featuring the Spider-Man to. from 1602. Really? Peter Parker? Yeah. We don't like him too much. Oh. <laughs> oh, spoilers! Okay, we got two more free comic book ones yeah. real quick. Uh, issue zero of DC's uh, new weekly series, uh, New 52, Future's End. Which I read a review of, said it was the, like, it, I believe it was uh, Newsarama's Best Shots, gave it zero out of ten stars, says it was the most depressing, pointlessly nihilistic thing they'd ever read in now, their lives. The issue zero or the whole series? Um, it was either issue zero or it was the first, like, regularly published issue. Because I'll say but... this, zero really didn't grab me. Mm-hmm. Zero was off. Zero also, some of the, it's supposed to be like 40 years in the future. Mm-hmm. And apparently the OMAC satellite, which Batman created years ago, and then, you know, of course it got past him because Batman was too arrogant to notice that he wasn't always <laughs> in charge. Uh-huh. And it's basically like their version of Skynet. Okay. Taking over. And it's actually, instead of the Terminators killing everybody, it's, instead of Terminators killing everybody, they're kind of changing them into these robot cyborgs that are controlled by Oh, oh, so it's a little bit of Terminator whatnot going yes. on. And it's kind of a little gruesome because, I mean, look at these things. Like they're, yeah. they're, like they're taking over their bodies, and so like you got like... Some real body horror going on in here. Yeah. Like Superman's body is missing, and when the one Green Lantern turns, like on the cover, you can see it's like ripping his, like his spinal spine. cord out, and it's turning it metal, and it's like his head's like five Oof. feet above his body. Yeah, no, that is not... 
And then the premise, in addition to it being DC, it is extra not for me. Yeah. And then the premise is we have the Batman Beyond character. Oh, from um, the Batman Beyond yeah. cartoon, Terry McGinnis. Terry McGinnis. Yeah. And he's still free, and he's working with Batman, and they're trying to go back in time to stop it. And the whole premise is Batman. Bruce Wayne was going to go back in time and stop it. No. And he is a what? That's see. That's my. Uh, that's my. The the thing. The one question I want answered is: Is that Terry McGinnis's uh, uh, introduction to the proper New Fifty Two? Universe. I think so. Okay. I know they've done some Batman Beyond comics, but mm-hmm. I don't. I think they've just been in their own little world. Mm-hmm. I don't think they're in the New Fifty Two. I think okay. this is his first actual New Fifty Two, and sort of because gotcha. it's in the future, you know. And then they, uh, what is it? They're supposed to go back in time. He's supposed. Batman's supposed to go back in time. Mm-hmm. It's calibrated for him. They get attacked. They're being attacked though at the time. Batman gets killed mm-hmm. and basically shoves Terry through in the thing. Interesting. But because okay. it was calibrated to Bruce Wayne, not Terry. He only goes back 35 years, not mm-hmm. 40, so he's now five years in the future of current DCU. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's where this story takes, the whole story takes place, which also gives them carte blanche to do whatever the hell they want, because it's five years in the future, mm-hmm. and who knows that it's going to stay. So, Zero was okay. I actually read what, I actually read and ended up picking up one and two. Like them a lot okay. more. There's more to it. It's not just all about this. There's some other, a couple other threads going on. I don't know where they're going to tie in this direct. I'm assuming they're going to try and tie, this, tie them into this, but as of right now, they don't yet. I'm actually more interested in those threads okay. than this one. <laughs> so, so far, as of now, three came out last week. I've mm-hmm. picked up three. So far, at least for the first five or six issues, I'm going to be picking it up. Okay. I like the first two issues, one and two, a lot more than the zero. Okay. You, uh, you're, you're committed at least that far. Yeah. Okay. And finally, for Free Comic Book Day, I picked up by 12-gauge publications, Sherwood, Texas, which is basically a retelling of Robin Hood with bikers and, like, biker groups in uh, Texas. Ah. Wasn't bad. It was a bit heavy-handed with the, make, you know, making sure you knew, no, this is our version of Little John, mm-hmm. and this is our sheriff, <laughs> and this is our Robin Hood, and that's our Marion. You got it? Okay. We're in Sher- This is the Sherwood Forest. Yeah. Got it? Everyone Okay. So a little heavy-handed. Laid on, laid on the concept a little yeah. uh, strong. A little thick. Think. And then there's a Boondock Saints I've heard backup. of. Bo- I've never no, watched I've... Boondock Saints. That's a movie, right? Yeah. Uh, it was an okay story. He opened to know. a random page, and the page is just covered with blams. Yeah. Blams and, 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 and other uh, firearm sound effects. Rat-a-tat, brat, brat, brat. <laughs> it looks like these two covered, guys are hanging covered. out some random homeless... A uh, guy with schizophrenia, and they give him a gun and have him help them shoot people. Oh, fabulous! I, you know, I mean, apparently the people they're shooting are apparently bad guys, like mm-hmm. they're criminals or whatever, but or murderers or drug smugglers, or I'm not even sure. <laughs> but I didn't get an impression of what Boondock Saints was about beyond, I guess, Sounds killing singularly things. unpleasant. So, if you're me, but no clue. But that's stuff I picked up free comic book day. But hey, cool! It was all free. Exactly. I can't complain. So you got a lot of bang for your entertainment buck. Exactly. For what I spent, I got plenty of good stuff. So, uh, um, in the interests of time, shall we move along to the uh, long boxes, our older uh, uh, reading uh, goodies? Actually, I'll skip my long box one. Really okay. Quick. Do this one. Just yeah, but this one we'll do quick. Yeah, no, do it because actually that will lead nicely into my long boxes because, okay. uh, sweet. I also, something I actually bought, mm-hmm. Justice League You actually 30. paid money for. Yes. Okay. Because after issue 28 of Justice League of the Middlemen, uh-huh. which I Which we discussed last, uh, no, in uh, issue one. Yeah. I'm going to keep. Buying at least for a couple issues, mm-hmm. and right now this is the fir- this issue is at the Forever Evil miniseries is now over. Mm-hmm. This is like the first post one, mm-hmm. and uh, 
Tell us what you see on the cover. What I see on the cover is apparently the Justice League. I see Batman and Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel and uh, Aquaman, Cyborg, and somebody on the other side Captain of the gun. Captain Cold. Captain Cold. I do not the know Flash who that villain. is. Okay. And then um, standing in front in a hero pose is none other than Lex Luthor in his traditional green and purple armor. Remember I said basically most of the League was trapped in that whole Forever Evil thing? In mm-hmm. fact, they don't even appear. Mm-hmm. Basically, Lex Luthor grabs some of the, gets a group of some of the world's worst villains mm-hmm. who basically are like, we're not going to agree, go with these people from another dimension who are trying to, the Crime Syndicate, who is like an evil version of the Justice League, mm-hmm. who are trying to take over our planet. Uh, yeah, this is our planet. We want you off. And basically, they save the day. Mm-hmm. Get off my planet. And so basically, right now, Luthor is view, and Captain Cold especially are viewed as heroes of the world because, well, they were heroic in the fact that they did save the world. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you actually see this group of, in the first. The opening cliffhanger, I mean, no, sorry, the opening teaser, you mm-hmm. see this group of villains left over from the secret society of supervillains planning on taking out the JLA. <laughs> and, and then who show shows up, up but, but Luther? With the rest of the League. Mm-hmm. And yes, this is about him joining the Justice League. In fact, he redoes their satellite, which had been crashed. They show up there going, what the hell is this thing? Mm-hmm. And he's there with, like, champagne. He's like, welcome, friends. How you doing? Oh, dear Lord. And, of course, they're all looking at him like... What okay. the hell? I can tell. I can tell a certain difference of approach, but seriously, I'm having. Um, uh, uh, I'm literally having, a, and this is of course the Marvel zombie in me is having flashbacks now to the uh, Dark Reign storyline that Marvel did back in the late 2000s, where um, after uh, when the, when the um, Norman Osborn took over, right the after the Secret Invasion shook out, uh, Norman Osborn wound up being the world's top cop. Yes, a bit of that, except he's not putting us all, except as of right now, he's not putting a whole team together and taking over. Right, it's saying, no Thunderbolt sort of he's uh, drill. A, or Dark Avengers. Right, he's Dark Avengers. He's joining the ones that are there, and in fact, he even lets them put Wonder Woman's lasso on him. Mm-hmm, to see and, if he's telling the he, truth, yeah. yeah. And he basically, they say, why do you want to be a member? Because I'm an egomaniac. Mm-hmm. I, I want to be viewed as the world's greatest hero, and at first I thought it was because of showing everybody that Superman's horrible mm-hmm. and killing him, I want to see this is too. doing it too. Yeah. And it's my world, too. And apparently they were scared. Apparently the crime center was scared of something attacking them. So anything that's worse than them, mm-hmm. he's, he basically says, we're not going to survive this unless we all work together. Now, see, that sounds like kind of interesting. I'm, I, I like and the sound of that. The thing, so, of course, they kick him off. But he mm-hmm. actually even gives them all the, the codes of satellite says, it's still yours. Mm-hmm. Take wow. it. Now, the interesting part is, I forgot, there's a preview, so that's not the back page. Yeah, I was going to Is say. the last page, or the last. Uh, that's Alfred Pennyworth, is it not? Oh, he shows up to visit Batman. And he says, can you tell Batman I'm here to see him? Yeah. He knows that Batman is Bruce Wayne. Oh, snap. He got that, probably got that off the satellite files. Well, no, actually he got that because in Forever Evil, Dick Grayson, the original Robin, was actually captured by the crime syndicate Uh, and amassed on live TV. Oh, dear. Okay. Everyone knows who Dick Grayson is. And honestly, if you know who Dick Grayson is, you only need half a brain to To figure figure out out who Batman is. Interesting. Well, I do have to say um, that that. So I read that. And I was like, "That sounds like some pretty good Whoa. storytelling there," which I would I'm not have digging that. Yeah, no, I can so see. Again, Justice League is on my list for the next few months mm-hmm. because I only see this storyline. Hopefully, by the end, I'm not going to go. What the hell did they do? <laughs> but but that, it was good in the beginning, and that actually plays nicely. That leads very nicely into my uh, long box selection, which I have just. Um, it's, I've only read the first two issues of the four that were uh, published, but JLA Avengers, 
that was uh, written by Kurt Busiek and uh, drawn by George Perez. God, it's so good. And it, I had been reading about it for years, and I only managed to get uh, my hands on it very recently. And so this, uh, with, since the last podcast, I've read the first two of the four issues. What did you? How, what version are you getting? The digital? Uh, digital, yeah. Okay. I was going to say, if I'd known you needed to read that, I actually have the uh, absolute version. Oh, you like do? The giant hardcover. Oh, interesting. I would have borrowed that if I'd known. But, you know, I have so much in my head that is, uh, yeah. that is uh, just on my list. Up. It was like, that one's like, oh, let me, uh, let me, let me grab grab that. Anyway, point is, and now now I have it, and I've been working my way through it, and okay, Busiek, Busiek is interesting, is an interesting writer for me, because I fell in love with him on Astro City, Mm. absolutely fell in love with him, started to read his Avengers run, which is legendary, I mean, people talk about Busiek's not, the hero's return, right, which started in 1998 and lasted until about 2002, 2003, when Jeff Johns took over, they did about, uh, they did a couple years worth, yeah, yeah, and, and I just, you know, and I've heard it spoken of as legendary, so I read that, and it was good, don't get me wrong, but it wasn't like, I mean, I wasn't loving it the way I loved like the Bendis run on Avengers or the Roger Stern John Buscema. And it might have been also a time thing if you think if you had read it then. Right. Considering exactly. a, what had just if, happened. Well, <laughs> a not just that, not just the year of Heroes Were Born, but mm-hmm. also the couple of years of Avengers before that, which right. were really poor and sad. And I mean, the highlight of the few years before, like the three years, let's say, or four years before that, was Avengers Time Slide. Well, you did have Operation Galactic Storm. Oh, I'm, no, I'm not even going that far. I'm okay, not going okay, that far. That far right. I was reading that, and I enjoyed that. I'm talking mm-hmm. about, let's say, because uh, it ended with issue 402, and then went right, to right. So I'm talking, let's say, issue 380 up. Right, no, no, you're right. And it was, it was vicious and awful, which is sad, because unless, I miss, unless I'm misremembering, the late, great Mark Gruenwald was sort of running the franchise at that point. I don't know if he was writing that anymore. Oh, he might not have been at that point. I'm not sure who was writing it, but yeah, they, they did that horrible time slide thing where they went back in time, mm-hmm. the, the Teen Tony thing. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to complain about that. I'm going with the, I'm just bitching. Well, yeah, the, the, the whole Teen Tony thing was, was a misfire on I'm every a, And I'm not even bitching level. about Teen Tony. I'm talking about them going back in time 10 years mm-hmm. to when Tony Stark was 19. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I guess Tony Stark's only 29. But wait, we see a cameo of the FF sneaking onto their ship. Mm-hmm. So the FF had been around for 10 years, but I guess what? They were around for five or six years before Tony was Iron Man, or he was Iron Man when he was 20? Wait, yeah, no, wait, it doesn't. Wait, why do, we have a t- why do we have a 10-year-old Peter Parker holding hands with his aunt uncle when he crosses the street? So, wait, You're what? Right. Yeah. What? And the, here's the thing. Is Nothing I, makes sense here. I tend not to look that closely at such details, but if the, if the story is begging you to and yeah, it doesn't because they're, sa- they're trying right. to show you this is where the Marvel Universe was 10 years ago. No. Peter Parker is what? Then he's 16 now? No, dude, I was here 10 years ago. It wasn't like this, yeah. Yeah, like even with your timeline where, yeah, obviously we know that, yeah, Peter Parker's always going to be younger than us. Yes, exactly. You know? Or at least at, you know, at a certain point, they're all, we're all going to get older than them because yeah. they're not going to age too Very, much. Right, exactly. Fine, but that's where they were 10 years ago? They were, you know, Peter Parker was meaning to hold hands across the street? <laughs> with, I think it was, I mean, well, although to be fair, if... Aunt May would probably make him call it hold hands across the street now. Mm-hmm. But you know what I mean? Like, nothing worked. Like, just don't show the other stuff. So, yeah, but my point... Okay, so, yeah. I, can see, I can see where, compared I guess... Compared to that, it was... Compared to that, Busiek's run is, is absolutely... And George Perez. And it Perez, is good. You know, and George Perez's artwork. art is good, is really, really good. And, you know, we got the whole live, career or die thing. And then that's sort of... I started, I've, I've started working my way through Avengers Forever in the wake of that. <sighs> But anyway, so so now so I'm I'm liking it. But you know the thing of it is is that you know uh, so Busiek is a fabulous writer, but I haven't loved every single thing he's ever touched the way I love, say, Astro City. 
But, so now I'm reading JLA Avengers, and it is so unbelievably good, not mm-hmm. just because it's a, it's, it's weird, because I would have said, you bring in these cosmic sort of, I always hated in the 60s when they brought in characters like the Grandmaster, or the Collector, or the Stranger, because okay. they just seemed like deus ex machinas, who were just like there to give us a, 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 Convenient. I won't even say plausible. I'll just say convenient well, excuse. Definitely. I mean, for for people to fight each other. Well, the stranger was there just to get rid of Magneto from the X Men. Yeah, exactly. Apparently, the X Men couldn't beat him. Yeah, exactly. It's like the stranger's going to take him and tow it away. Yeah, just just sort of. But yeah, so it's like so you have the Grandmaster here, and apparently you have some roughly analogous counterparts from the DCU, Krona. like uh, Krona. Was did Krona exist in the DC universe? Krona has been around before? since uh, Green Lantern fifty or fifty five, oh, okay. back in the sixties or early seventies, whenever that came out exactly. Okay. Okay, and he's in one of the Guardians of the Universe, and in fact, he is the one of the main. He is the basic reason for the uh, multiverse and Crisis on Infinite Earths. Interesting. Okay, I can see that. I could see that. And you know, he seems very similar in his uh, nature and motivations to say Galactus. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you've also got this Mentos guy or, or mentor. Mentor. Uh, no, not mentor. Um, uh, Metron. Um, Metron. Metron. That, that is from Jack Kirby's New Gods. Okay. So you've, so basically you're, you're, you're bringing a lot of it and you're paralleling them. And it wound up being a pretty interesting story because of the way that, the, yeah, they're playing the game, but that game that we think they're playing is not actually the game they're playing. Right. It's actually a, a sort of bait and switch and blah, blah, blah. And I'm really digging that. But more so than anything else, what is making this work and what is making it compulsively page-turning and making me sad that at the end it's only going to be four issues because I could read this thing for years is... The the straight up conflict between the worldviews. Mm-hmm. I've noticed it for years. I've never seen anybody lampshade it in an actual published comic the way Busiek is doing. Well, he wrote here. both. He's written both at the time, at least by that time. He has written. I, I both think he, of might the, he was currently writing Avengers at that both, time. I know he's writing Avengers. I think he might have been writing Justice League at that time. Interesting and. Made uh, it Perez has definitely had runs on both of them. On both, absolutely. So I guess what's making me... Uh, what, so when you have, you know, the, the Avengers, you know, porting into uh, the DCU and just dumbstruck by how idolized oh, the and Flash beloved... Museum. When Quicksilver sees the Flash Museum... And people asking them for autographs. And yeah. he's like, wait... What? <laughs> yeah, this guy gets... And then meantime, Superman losing his shit over the Marvel Universe and how, like, awful it is. Because, like, you know, it's like just because people are different, like, they're okay with lynching people? These, these heroes aren't trying hard enough, and I'm like, oh, F you, Supes. F you where you live. You know, basically... And the Batman-Captain America fight was awesome. Was, was awesome, and then at the same time, the way everybody's sort of just working... Anyway, I am just... It is so well handled. Presented so... Like smartly yes. and beautifully. I love the opening part the, the, it, where they do that. Also, what you were saying, where because a lot of times in the old Just League, it was the plan of figuring mm-hmm. out how to defeat them, and as opposed to Avengers, it was overpowering. Yeah, and they have to they have to do they do their own versions, but against the other against Starro. Starro, right? The Avengers Starro versus Starro, but the League you know? deals with ter- ter- uh, ter- Term- Terminus. Terminus, because right. basically those. More for the fact that the DC things weren't always that more powerful. It's that they had these ways that you had to plan, you know, figure yeah, out a way around exactly. it. And for the Marvel, it's just that this, like you know, you've Galactus in terms of this things of just immense power that you just have to beat the crap down out of. Well, not necessarily. If you look well, back to the always. original Galactus trilogy, they didn't overpower him. Well, they... obviously, but yeah, but I'm saying not always because obviously stuff happens at both ends. Mm-hmm. But still, like, yeah. it was that was more the often more one, of the, sta- the norm, SOP. Yeah, yeah, than one and the other, and he played with that. 
by having them switch, you know, the villains there real quick. Yeah, yep, yep, yep. But anyway, so I haven't finished it yet, but I am just loving the face off it. And so, and the thing is, oh, and by the way, I don't know if he was always like this, but the way Busiek writes Plastic Man, I want him around. Yeah, like he's basically fun. basically now this is determined after a lifetime of avoiding DC. If nothing else, I want to read Busiek's run on JLA. Actually, I'm not going to say what part it is because you haven't got to the end. But there's mm-hmm. a thing at the very end of JLA Avengers mm-hmm. that actually they do a story about Injustice League. I actually haven't read that yet. Okay. So I don't know. I'm assuming I don't know if they even mention the story at all. I'm assuming if they do, it's a vague illusion because they okay. can't really say mm-hmm. our team up of the Avengers because they mm-hmm. can't say that in the regular issue. Mm-hmm. But it does. There is something that carries on in Justice League. Oh, sweet. So yeah. So I am just loving, loving, loving it, and uh, oh, that's my long series. boxes because yeah, that has been giving me great, amazing uh, joy. And I love the cameo by the thing. Yes, yes, the Kevin, you know, oh, he's, the, he's one of the best men I know, you know. Oh, Captain yeah. America and Batman together were so awesome. They were, they were, again, these are the kind of things I wish we, because I believe it is a matter of record that to date, and this is a 10 years ago now that this was published, and to date, I believe that's the last crossover between the two uh, companies. Hmm, it might be, I don't remember um, to tell you the truth. So, and it, which makes me sad, because wow, could I, like, love to see more of that Oh, stuff. I would love if they did a sequel. If they did, yeah. And I'm talking about Busiek. Busiek and, and Perez, Perez, who are both still around and both still work. And I don't know. I know Busiek is working on his Astro City. I don't know if he's doing much else right now. I don't know how much right now. Perez could do with his health. You know, he's he's having health, health problems? Yeah, I think he's had issues with either hand or eye. Mm, okay. That's and sad. It basically, something that really, it's not life-threatening, but does affect mm-hmm. his career. Yeah. No, obviously. Obviously. Yeah, it affects his profession as an artist because it kind of makes it hard to do things when you, I forget, if, I forget exactly what it is. But either so, way, it's got to be one of the two. And from uh, so there, and also I'll just mention real quick. I have a couple of items to mention real quick. Uh, as far as my long boxes, last time we were talking about Amazing Spider-Man, and you mentioned how the Lee Ramita run mm-hmm. um, was probably one of your favorite eras oh, of God, yeah. Amazing Spider-Man. I finally got into reading that. I've read, I believe, through issue sixty-one now, um, and I have to say that. Um, there's been a lot of good stuff in there, a lot of really good stuff, and the um, the uh, the three parter, uh, the the Spider-Man No More three parter yes. that introduced the Kingpin was absolutely gobsmackingly amazing. And if Stanley had never written another anything else in the history of comics, he would deserve to be remembered just for those three issues: Amazing Spider-Man fifty, fifty-one, and fifty-two. Plus that. Um, the, iconic cover. That iconic John Romita cover. John Romita's stuff is amazing. Now, the flip side is there are two things that, that I have to say were sort of detrimental to my enjoyment. One, the teen slang. The, the, oh, the, yeah. the, the constant beatnik slang coming out of Mary Jane and Peter and Harry at, in these issues is just, and even Gwen to a certain extent in these issues, is a little off-putting. And also, they immediately followed this classic, amazing three-parter with the Doc Ock four-parter um, that featured, among many other things, and actually some good moments, it featured three whole issues wherein Peter has lost his memory. Oh, okay. And it was so hoary and hard to read because it was just so like, really, guys? I, this was cliche and old news back in 1968 when you did this the first well, yeah. time. Well, not every so, issue is going to be a winner in any No, no, no. Run. I know. I know. I know. And so I'm saying overall, I'm digging it. The art is amazing. The writing is you still generally kind of, strong. But For me, I put myself in the mindset that this actually does take place back then. It's not 
you know, I forget, I forget ignore the Marvel thing where, yeah, this actually, you know, if you ask them, they would they'd be like, yeah, this took place in 2008. Yeah. No, yeah. no, no. This is 1968. Yeah. This is where it takes place. Because to me, whenever I read that, it kind of gave me this idea of this whole, this is the world. Right. And, like, it gave me a whole, like, this is this world he lives in. And, yeah, it's in the 60s, but so what? Yeah. No, I think, I think though, that, well, anyway, it was... Uh, and then, then was, I can go a bit with the slang. I mean, yeah, it, it does date a bit. It, it, a it bit just, it bit. becomes, it's so thick, you know? It's like, a little bit here and there I wouldn't mind. Never but. read Silver Age Teen Titans then. <laughs> uh, unless you just want to laugh out of that, because it's worse than that. It, it, the, really? The slang now I'm curious. Now I'm a little curious. It's all daddy-o. Oh, Wow. Okay, it's well, a, actually it's like teen with teen in the ti- in the title. Well, yeah, but it's like it's all daddy-o and stuff. It's almost Who like who was uh, writing that at the time? Do you know Bob Haney? Maybe. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah, it's all like, uh, and of course, it's somebody who's older, so he's picking up slang from like it sounds like the fifties well, and the sixties. Right, exactly. Because the thing of it is, is that actual like you know people at this point maybe they had maybe they had talked that way in movies 10 years earlier but you know lee was now someone on i believe it was spiderfan.org made the point that there's so much of it it becomes a sort of lingo unto itself yes. and so it becomes so you can kind of get into it that way and i've been trying Stan to Stan seems but... better at that than a lot of other writers and that he the way he uses it so much he almost makes it his own lingo like, exactly. so it's almost like a version of the real <laughs> team lingo, but yes. not exactly. So it kind of goes on its own as opposed to like some other writers. And I'm not even just going just Marvel DC. I'm just talking about other writers besides Stan where they try and do it and it's just like forced or just like dated. And with Stan, it's just like, in my world, this is the lingo they use. Exactly. It might be based a bit on stuff you people have used before, but this is our lingo. <laughs> I like it though. I mean, but generally I'm still digging it and I'm still working my way through. I'm still um, um, pursuing my stated goal of... Um, uh, reading every single issue of Amazing Spider-Man ever, which, uh, as I have said before, I've got a lot. I've, I'm now I've read the first sixty-one issues. I've so far read the first. Well, I've read others, but right now I'm on issue eleven. <laughs> I've, I, and, and I've read a bunch from the seventies, usually out of order. So mm-hmm. like a chunk here, a chunk there. Um, and then I've read every one since uh, J. Michael Straczynski took over as writer in two thousand one. So I've got I've got pretty much the entirety of the late sixties, chunks of the seventies. Chunks of the 80s and the entire 90s, pretty much, to catch yeah. up on. So it's early days yet in this, but that's my goal. I will, I will read every off, issue ever that ever had Amazing Spider-Man on the cover. I will put off some of the 90s stuff for a while, especially the uh, clone things Obviously, and Maximum Carnage. Obviously, the clone saga, Maximum Carnage. I mean, hell, I'm no great fan of, any, of, either the, of the artwork of either uh, Todd McFarlane or Eric Larson, so I'm not looking forward to either of Actually, these. Actually, and those are the errors I would say that are be- and those are better. Well, because they had David Michelini writing them. Eventually, you eventually the artworks got saved by the advent of Mark Bagley, but you know at the and, same but time, that's when Howard Mackey like, came and on. And that's his when writing. comes in the whole. That's the time the that comes in the saga. whole Clone Saga, yeah. or like shortly afterwards. But I know Bagley was involved with the uh, Maximum Carnage. Right, he was. He was. And the thing of it is, though, you have to take into account they were good writers. Uh, Michelini, J.M. DiMatteis. These are good writers. Yeah, and there's know? some good stuff in there. Mostly yeah. it's just a problem of stretching things out. Right. And, and it having, was, uh, having to keep things going and going and going and going. And if you, ever like, read, uh, if you ever read the behind-the-scenes stuff, again, this comes from having read, and I can't recommend it highly enough, Marvel, The Untold Story by uh, Sean Howe. Um, that was really the time when the ownership of the company was undergoing a lot of changes. This was the time of the Perelman fight. Yes. Um, and so because... Um, Management was placing management was placing uh, 
merchandising and cross like um, um, cross platform demands on editorial. Yes, editorial was most emphatically not on board with what management wanted to do, ownership wanted to do, and didn't have any interest in following along. But yet, how much wiggle room did they actually have? So while they were fighting management in order to buy time, they basically put all the ongoing story you know uh, storylines in. A sort of holding pattern, and that is why the Clone Saga dragged on Not about so three long. times as long. Oh yeah, that should as as anyone involved. You had um, I, I forget. I believe it was um, oh man, who was the editor of the Spider books at the time? I'm trying to remember if it was DeFalco or no, it wasn't Tom DeFalco. It might have been. Um, I can't remember. It wasn't Axel Alonso yet? He was no. Um, he was near nowhere it. near it at the time. I don't I think he was even working. I, th- I think actually, if I'm remembering properly, it might have been Ralph Macchio. That's possible. But anyway, the point is, whoever the editor was had conceived of the Clone Saga as one thing, and he assigned the writing oh, duties yeah, out to Michelini. And there's actually seven points where it should have ended, and right. then they had to keep going. Right, exactly, because they were just like, no, we can't resolve this yet, because if we resolve this, then we're going to have to follow along with what Perelman and these other assholes at the top want us to do. And they decided not so much. So anyway, it's an interesting understanding yes. of how the conflict and unrest at the top yeah, real quick, I'll, what was going on. I'll have to find it because I can't remember the name 100%. I'll send it to you later and if you want to put a link up on the on website. The post, yeah. And I believe there's a series of blogs, I think it's called Clone Saga Chronicles or mm-hmm. something, I'm trying to remember, which basically delved into that. And I think mm-hmm. it has interviews and stuff with people and it basically breaks down the Clone Saga and like oh, the different very parts. Interesting. It was really well done in different parts of like, this is where it was supposed to go. Uh-huh. This is where the story should have ended. It was actually planned on ended. You can see how they did that. Like this is where we were told that like we had interviews that like this is where it was changed at the last minute, like the mm-hmm. last page to keep it going. Mm-hmm. And like it's a really interesting look at how the Clone Saga became what it became from what it was supposed to be. Yeah, I can, I can, I can see that. And I would be interested in that because shameful admission, I actually did start reading the '90s Clone Saga. Um, That's actually when I stopped. No, actually, no, wait. I stopped reading my reading of my collecting Spider-Man no, back mean, then with Maximum Carnage. I mean, recently, I started reading it just out of curiosity, <gasps> and oh, okay. and then what happened was I got as far as the end of the first like major story arc, the whole bit with Traveler at Ravenscroft. Uh, Judas Traveler at Ravenscroft yes. Prison, and it was just like really, and so I figured, okay, you know what? I am going to read all this Spider Man eventually. I'll get to this when I get to it. Yeah. Um, so anyway, uh, but that that was uh, that was uh, uh, some 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 interesting stuff. Headline, real quick, that I want to mention, and then we will get into uh, some other stuff. Uh, but headline: uh, Brian Bendis posted an image to his uh, Tumblr account. Of a mm. of the art, the pencil art yes. for an upcoming issue of All New X Men, which he writes. Yes, uh, the artwork was by Sarah Pacelli, um, and it's basically a riff on the classic X Men one thirty nine cover. Welcome, Welcome to the, the X Men, Kitty Pride. Hope you survive the experience. This has been riffed on numerous times. Over yes, the has years. to make the character who's joining, quote unquote, in right. the circle, like a little circle in the middle, and then. In- there's like panels around them showing the different characters who are already on the team. Exactly. Well, basically, this is the all new X Men and joining them. Welcome to the X Men, Miles Morales. Hope you survive the experience. To which my reaction was an instant WTF jaw dropping on the floor. And the question is, what Miles Morales is this? Where's he from? Right, exactly, because we never did find out what Peter Parker found out at the end of the Spider Man miniseries when he returned to the main and Marvel they are universe. doing a sequel to that. Right. So is this part of that, or is well, he is wearing his ultimate duds in the cover. Yes, but on the other hand, he also 
I don't know, maybe Peter Parker helped him design Yeah, them. we don't know. We don't know anything. All we know right now is WTF, and we have Bendis' assurance uh, with the, the small blurb accompanying the post that this is real, this is not a dream, this is not a hoax, this is not him messing with us, because he does like to mess with people. Yes, he does. But he swears this is not. This is for issue number 27, which I believe does not come out for a few months. So I have Actually, a few no, months... wait, 27? No, might, I might be misremembering Because 26 else. is the newest, or 26, I think it was the newest Well, then issue. maybe it is coming out. Look, all I know is that whenever it comes out, I am basically like, I have until then to squirm and twist and be like, WTF. So that's yeah. what I got. What's in your mind, Mr. Sedano, uh, comics related, if you have anything? Because uh, I have been talking uh, quite a bit. That's, oh yeah, but I've been jumping in, so that's Yeah, fine. no, that's all good. It's all good, but uh, what, what's, what's on your mind in terms of uh, stuffs? Well, let's see, something we actually, we, we talked about beforehand mm-hmm. that we were talking about, talking about, mm-hmm. or something <laughs> talking about talking about hold on wait a minute i'm getting confused here okay yeah <laughs> <laughs> time right. travel tenses it's always so confusing yes. the whole david s goyer thing uh, well which is an ongoing as we record this is still sort of an ongoing concern because it's also going on with my thing of something i feel about where and i'm not saying i'm defending his what he's saying but the whole thing where anything gets released comic wise mm-hmm. and we all seem to just go you suck, and this is horrible, and everyone should die. Well, no, that, and that is true, and this is, I'm not even going to get, like, all political and ideological on you, but there is, has been a distressing trend uh, of late in the world at large where people express wrong things, you know, and they don't get disputed, they don't get engaged or whatever. They get basically shut down, destroyed, marginalized, um... And in other words, basically, you know, rejected from from right-thinking society. And, you know, it's a little worrisome in my opinion. But again, down that way lies more uh, stuffs than I wish to get into. You're right, though, about uh, Goyer. The reaction to Goyer was perhaps a bit much. Yeah, it's the first question is like... Because if anyone doesn't know, he was doing a Q&A somewhere. On the and, Script Notes podcast. Yeah. And someone asked him about, apparently he was asked about a couple different characters, how, you know, his thoughts on them. Ones that he wasn't working on. Mm-hmm. And his thoughts on them, like developing them. And he made Just a- real quick to background, if you don't know who David S. Goyer is, he oh, is yeah. a screenwriter who wrote Man of Steel. He uh, is co-writing the upcoming uh, Batman versus Super- Superman versus Batman: Dawn of Justice movie. He is the sole credited writer at this time on the Justice League movie that is to uh, slated to follow uh, Batman: uh, Superman versus Batman. And basically, I view him as having the same position within Warner Brothers. Uh, DC comic superhero movies as, say, Kevin Feige or uh, Joss Whedon holds in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He also, I don't know if he's done other stuff, but I do know back in the late 90s when the DC started the JSA series, he was one of the co-writers on that with James Robinson. Okay. And he also uh, was the screenwriter, I believe, on The Dark Knight Rises. I think he actually also, I don't remember if he co-wrote some issues of Starman 2 with him. I don't okay. think so, but I know he did co-wrote some stuff back then. So, ba- so this is a guy who, in theory... Has worked on comics. He's working on a number of comic book movies. He's in a position of creative power within the superhero movie continuum. Yes. So that's why we pay attention to what he says on a podcast. And But to clarify, only on the DC side. As right, far as I know, exactly. he's never touched anything in Marvel. Now, I could be completely wrong. I think I think he has worked on one or two things Marvel. Yeah, I have the, no clue. In... I mean, I know Jeff Johns had a brief, brief career at Marvel. I know he wrote Avengers for about a year. Yes. He had a Thing miniseries, I believe. He had a Vision miniseries, I mm-hmm, believe. Mm-hmm. I don't remember if David Square worked with him on that. 
if James mm-hmm. Square had a career Marvel and on Jeff his own. Johns is sort of the creative head of DC these yes. days. So he pretty much is only DC, but he did have a brief period at Marvel. Yeah, absolutely. Right before, actually, his period of Avengers was, I believe, was it either right it, before it, it, uh, Bendis or was it right before Chuck Austin? And then it was Bendis. before Chuck Austin. He immediately followed um, um, Johns. Immediately followed Busiek. Okay. Then Johns was followed by Austin, and then Bendis came on and disassembled. Yes. And went on to his record making run, uh, which is the all-time greatest Avengers so, ever, in my b- opinion. At best, at my guess, if Goyer had any involvement with Marvel, it's pre-Avengers Disassembled, so right. we're talking almost a decade before Right, now. exactly. So, he was on the Script Note podcast, and he said some disparaging things about uh, She-Hulk. Yeah, someone threw out to him She-Hulk as a character, and he mentioned, like, oh, Slut-Hulk? Like, I believe the it was name? the host, Kirk, Craig Mazin, okay. See, I who, wasn't who sure. called who? She-Hulk Slut-Hulk. And he now says he was that that was meant in jest, and yes. that. Um, and Goyer said something about, well, it's kind of a horrible thing. Like she's just basically right there as female version of, uh-huh. you know, she's like a male sex power, you know, fantasy because she's like the hot chick, but she's also smart. Mm-hmm. Which he did say, you know, it's not like no, he said he, she was just some dumb. But he bum. said that she was there. Like if boys are fantasizing about being the Hulk, then this was there for the same ten-year-old boys to fantasize about having sex with She-Hulk. Yes. It's basically what he said. Now, granted, of course, to be fair, he's not saying that it's for Hulk to have sex with. It's for actually he did. Oh, he and, did. Okay, then see, because I'm, which I'm is, which remembering is, some stuff. Right, he said. right. No, so now I see this was problematic partially because she Hulk's his cousin. Yes, and while some okay, yes, it has been pointed out to me that hasn't stopped some people. She was never conceived of as a romantic interest. No, for and she's never been the Hulk. Well, no, sorry, she has been conceived of. Apparently, I'm trying to remember. I think it's Old Man Logan. Okay. They have children? Oh, really? I think that's what it was. I can't remember. I so haven't read Old Man Logan, so I cannot that. comment. But there's also Hulk. I think it's a Hulk annual from around 2000 by Paul Jenkins, which is all about the Hulk displaying pri- primate instincts okay. and trying to get She-Hulk as his mate. But that's an isolated incident and nothing uh, but inherent just, to the conception of the character. No, but I'm just is, saying, right? Before I'm just saying, just like to point out that it is not 100% gone because... It is out there. No, that is that is true. But now, so the basic gist, and, and if you do a Google search, you can absolutely find the, the straight-up text, um, not safe for work entirely, uh, straight-up text of what Goyer said on the podcast um, to uh, uh, in regards to She-Hulk. But basically, he marginalized her as a uh, 10-year-old um, fantasy, the fantasy for 10-year-old boys, and a... a, a uh, he, I believe his exact words at one point were giant green porn star. Yes. And see, to me, these, the problem that I had with hearing this and the reason that I, I took issue with it was because not only because it is um, dismissive of She-Hulk as a character, okay, that's one thing, but it also displays a tremendous ignorance of the character. 90% of the character's existence, in my opinion, in my opinion, and I have been reading, she, I discovered She-Hulk in 1985 when she was a member of the Fantastic Four. Um, oh, and, she was a great, in fact, she's the only member, I, person I think, besides the, uh, who should replace the thing. She replaced the thing after the Secret Wars. I mean, forget even Crystal or Medusa, who were way before her. Yeah. She-Hulk is... The great, a great, fantastic. If they woman. need to have somebody replace replace one of them, it should be She-Hulk. It should be She-Hulk, and she was in it for a few years during. Um, um, actually, I believe the bulk of John Byrne's yes. uh, run as writer and artist on the Fantastic Four so, in actually. the mid eighties. Um, She-Hulk was a member. It was it was Mister Fantastic uh, Invisible Woman, uh, Human Torch, and She-Hulk. Now, to me, no. Uh, 
single issue of her existence sums up the She-Hulk's existence better than Fantastic Four 275. Yes. <laughs> which was uh, cover dated April uh, 1985 and probably uh, uh, um, came out then in December or January. December 84, January 85. And this was one of the very first issues of Fantastic Four I ever read. Um, the title was The Naked Truth and the basic uh, 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 premise was... Um, She-Hulk is sunbathing topless on top of the Baxter building and a passing helicopter gets some photos of her which, she then, which they then proceed to attempt to sell to a girly mag yeah. uh, published by a guy who bears a uh, suspicious resemblance to Stan Lee. And probably supposed to be Hugh Hefner. Right. And, but yeah, it was actually more of a Larry Flint type. Oh, okay. Really sleazy. It's been a while since I read that one. Right. So. I, mean, I, mean, I mean, not to draw too fine a distinction, but Hefner, whatever you think of Playboy, Hefner has always pretty much been a classy sort of operator in that space. Yeah. Whereas Flint was always more of a hustler, pun intended. Exactly. More of a, hey, I will buy these pictures of you without your knowledge and publish them. And it's better to... Uh, Ask forgiveness than to beg forgiveness than to ask permission. permission. And if you sue me, well, you're a public figure. That kind of thing. He so this was more of a Larry Flint okay, kind yeah. of a kind of a character. But long story short, she the, the magazine she goes to the offices and intimidates the guy. And basically, when he refuses to play ball, she crumples his safe into a little ball. <laughs> and um, the public the, at the end the um, and this is a thirty year old issue, so I'm not going to worry about revealing spoilers. Yeah. At the end, and the we revealed spoilers. Get, Last, this past month, so unjustly. So. The pictures get published anyway, but um, the printer never doesn't realize it's the She-Hulk, so they correct the color and she gets printed with regular pink flesh tones. And since it's She-Hulk, she looks different than her regular right, Jennifer exactly. Walter self anyway. It doesn't even look like her. So it's a, it seems like a happy ending until uh, Human Torch uh, flies off uh, muttering about having green spectacles in his uh, green sunglasses in his room. <laughs> anyway, it's very cute and very good, but you see, the problem here is that yes, she is gorgeous. She has a sexuality but and, and she the, but she also has agency and power of her own and she will take care of her own problems oh, no, oh, always but i will agree but yeah remember though of course that that is both of those are true i mean john byrne mm-hmm. who did this issue who is yeah. basically probably the most famous she-hulk yes. creator yes his Not, I mean, he didn't create her he didn't create her but i, you know I mean have, like he's a the creator most associated with her. He's done yes. the most with her. And yes, he made her funny and smart because of, you know, her She-Hulk one. But also, it also involved a lot of, uh, jo- you know, jokes about her being hot where we have this issue where he had made jokes for a while about he's going to have to do a whole issue of her jumping rope naked. Yes. And he does yes. several pages of that, but it turns out that it's just, you have the speed blur lines of the uh-huh. rope over the naughty bits. And yeah. when she stops, because she knows he's making her do this, yeah. she actually has like a bikini on or something. Yeah. And then the next issue, I think the next cover has her bundled up like uh, the little brother from A Christmas Story. Yeah. Where she, you know, can't put her arms down because, you know, it's like, you've had too much recently. This is all you get now. You get, like, to see her eyes. To be fair, those were both issues of the uh, title, The Sensational She-Hulk, yes. which Byrne did in uh, 89, I think. 89 Actually, those, 90. Are the, those are his second run. Like, second so be more run, so closer 91, to, like, 92, 93. 93. Well, anyway, the point is, is that those were deliberately fourth wall breaking, comedically oriented issues. Yes, but issues. still placing on the fact that, of, yes, going the joke of, She's hot. Right. But then, now let's fast forward so, to Dan Slott and uh, Juan Bobilo, Bobillo's run on um, the, the She-Hulk title that debuted in 2004, I believe it yes, was. Yes, when she was a lawyer. She's a lawyer. Again, she's an empowered modern woman with agency. Admittedly, that story starts off with her getting in trouble with the Avengers for all the um, vapid male European supermodels that she keeps sleeping with at Avengers Mansion. Yes. 
my I guess my point is is that if there has ever been a character in comics who, unlike say someone like Power Girl, or someone like say Shanna the She Devil, mm-hmm. or someone like say the Invisible Woman pre Burn, if there has ever been a character in comics who has throughout ninety to ninety five percent of her uh, existence as a comic book character. Um, embodied the concept of female empowerment, feminism, um, uh, female um, agency, all of that good stuff, without sacrificing her sexuality or sex appeal. It's She-Hulk. It's the She-Hulk. Oh, I agree 100%. And so, and so for me, the reason what David S. Goyer, to wrestle it back you know, to yes, him, to the, whole the point. reason why I reject and condemn and 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 in basically uh, shaking my finger at David S. Goyer for saying it on the Script Notes podcast is because he um, he is dismissing all of the positive aspects of her existence and in in favor of a um, a, a dismissive and um, um, inaccurate uh, 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 superficial. Um, Statement, and the only reason again that I find that that again I shake my finger at him is because being a person in a position of creative power in um, multi-billion-dollar uh, segment of our of our comic book entertainment world, I expect, if not experience with these specific characters, at least more awareness and circumspection out of him. Yeah, no, that's I, and therein lies my issue. Like I said, and I don't agree with any of his points about her. Mm-hmm. So let's mm-hmm. put that out first. It's not that I'm agreeing. It's not that I agree <laughs> with him. My only thing is with the way people are reacting a bit to it. It's like, first of all, I haven't heard it yet. I tried finding that episode. I haven't been able to find it yet. Yeah. So I don't. It know. has a history of going up and down since yeah. this whole thing broke. I don't know if the way he said it was. Well, yeah, she looks just a slut. Mm-hmm. You know, or if, since the other guy said it first, mm-hmm. and since he's mostly a DC person, like we said, now, yeah, it has helped to know things, but really, if you're working in one universe, do you, how much do you have to know about the other to be able to do your job well in oh, DC? I'm not And so, for right. all I know, he just has no clue who She Hulk is beyond the fact that she's She Hulk, mm-hmm. and he's seen some pictures of her, which are probably very sexualized, mm-hmm. you know, some pinups or posters, or whatever. And the other guy made a joke, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, She Hulk, yeah, she's there for the Hulk the Bank. <laughs> I'm going I'm... next. You know, I don't know. I would hope at least if he's going to be doing movies and stuff, because everyone's mm-hmm. really worried about his handling of Wonder Woman now. Well, first of all, I will say this, though, at least to be fair. He talks about She-Hulk being a, she, a, a female version of a character. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman isn't. Yes. So she yes. is not a female version. She is not Supergirl. You know, it's, it's one not thing if, he's, girl, if right. he's taking care, he's dealing with Supergirl or a Batgirl movie, you know. But he's talking about Wonder Woman is not a female version of anybody. Wonder Woman is Wonder Woman. So there's that. We also have to, I will also assume based on his career and the fact that most of his stuff has been pretty good, that he probably does put more than a five-second thought into his, what he's working on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I... As I, opposed I, to what I'm assuming he had for this comment. Now, I will say, yes, it, it was a stupid thing to say. Mm-hmm. He might have went, I think it went a bit far with that, you know. Not the smartest thing for him to do. I'm not going to take that as therefore a condemnation of that he is a horrible misogynist who's going to make Wonder Woman, you know, um, basically Superman's bitch. Yeah, no, and I don't even mean bitch as just that's his girl. I mean, as in he's going to be slapping her around and going, "Go cook me some dinner, woman." (laughs) No, I think that I think that would be too much. What he's done 
if he's done anything with a female character, main female character, to see how much he's done with them, of course, first. I have to double-check on that. And also, I'd like to hear it. Now, I could be completely wrong, mm-hmm. and he has actually done nothing with any female characters as a main character. Any, anything he's done might always have female characters as these horrible roles that are completely pointless and vapid. And he might be this horrible misogynist, and he might have said this in a completely serious way, and actually had done been like if you would ask him more, he would have said, "Oh yeah, I've read every Shulk issue ever, and I know mm-hmm. everything about the character." I'm just saying, is without knowing, Let's, just disagree, but don't go. Oh, I agree with pitchfork you. Pitchfork? No, no, I'm not going to go after him with a pitchfork and a torch. I will. I will say well, two more things. A lot things. of people aren't. It's like. Hold off, make sure you have your facts, and then if everything is worthy of Pitchfork Mob, that's fine. The two things that I think lend, the two things that tip it more into the side of, oh, I'm worried about this guy, is two things. One, there have been numerous um, uh, uh, worries, or I should say um, criticisms, of the way he handled Superman in Man Man of Steel. Um, that he was very violent, he was not mindful of, you know, collateral damage. Well, there was, was a lot of collateral damage. Right, right, that this, that this was not a very Superman thing. And secondly, um, later in that podcast, and he was also getting a lot of uh, uh, attention for what he said about Martian Manhunter, but when the topic came up, he actually said, who here has heard of Martian Manhunter? And there was a smattering of applause you, that you hear on the podcast, because apparently they did this in front of a live audience. Yes. And then when he said, okay, how many of the people that raised their hands have ever been laid? And it's like, okay, really? This is a guy who's like working off of a 30-year-old stereotype yeah, now? Yeah, oh, no, agreed. You know, it's like, and again, it's like, it's only problematic, it's like, because we have very little, now we have a number of troubling indications that this guy is not fully aware or, you know, sympathetic or sensitive to the kinds of thinking that, that perhaps we as comic book fans would want someone in a position of power oh, I, to yeah. be. And, you know, very few, if any, um, counterindications, you know, evidence of, you know, well, yeah, he said these, you know, things, but on the flip side... Really, at this point, we're just conjecturing of the, the existence the thing, of, of things just, on the most flip side. Most of us are just conjecturing. <laughs> well, yeah, you know like what I'm said, saying? But I don't, I don't know enough. Right. So for me, unless I know enough, I can't go running out with Pitchfork Mob. I can disagree with him. Yes. I can no, no, no. I, I'm with you. I'm with you on the discouragement of the Pitchfork Mob. I'm just saying, you know, so far I've got, I've got, you know, three black marks and no green marks, so... And that's fair <laughs> as well. And I'm not saying you have to like it, and I'm not saying therefore just because, you know, you don't have to go... There, 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 you know what? There should be levels between I agree with you 100% no, absolutely. and Pitchfork Mob. And you were perfectly fine at going, I'm not going to go Pitchfork Mob because I don't know enough... But I disagree with you enough that I don't want to pay attention to you anymore. Right, exactly. And see, that's a- and that's a perfectly valid thing. And in fact, if you really disagree with that a person thing, that's probably a better way of getting rid of them. Because the more you do the pitchfork mob thing, right. the more they're out there. No, exactly. And let's face it, studios well, no. are horrible. They go by who's hot. And more- as far as they know, David Esquire is hot because. There's his name. You Google's name shit pops up all over. Right, and more so than that, pitchfork mobs someone out of there. That is, you you can't then discuss it. You know, you just pitchfork the mob out of here, and then all you're doing is silencing them, which is no way to um, uh, further the discussion. Yeah, you know what either, I'm saying? yeah. One, there should be discussion about that because we, like we said, with the last time we did the show mm-hmm. with. Uh, I forget her name now. Uh, the Teen uh, Titans. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Who did uh, Janelle Aslan? Who yes, did the? Uh... Obviously, there's a lot of problems with things like that out there. I think just more discussion is needed, right. to help get some people, you know, to help figure out why that exists, mm-hmm. and maybe get some people away from that mindset. Exactly. But also, at the very least, here's my thing: 
even if you're not going to change anyone's mind about that and you're they're going to be that same horrible misogynist you know rape you know rape is mm-hmm. cool and funny to me person here's the thing know your enemy mm-hmm. know what they're thinking know where they're coming from know what know where they are don't just silence them right. learn from them so exactly. you know how to circumvent them how to Basically, you know, you know, basically stop the things that they're going to do before they can do them. Mm-hmm. Instead of just saying "shut up." Yeah, no, I agree. Learn I about agree what they're that. doing because I. And of know, course, let's get that away. I, I like to get the whole thing away from that whole type of mindset, mm-hmm. but we can't do that. I mean, unless we're just going to go kill them all. <laughs> no, which no, is no, also kind of a little them. wrong. Yeah, so. I will. I will. Um, of course, I, I have to um, say I'm pretty pleased with myself because, really, at the base of it, my my be, me being me and people who have listened to the Four Color Fanboys podcast here uh, will recognize this sentiment uh, coming from me. Really, at the end of the day, um, my main thought about this was Feige would never have said that shit. <laughs> yeah, well, at the very least, it was, at the very least, because I am a Marvel zombie after all. At the very least, it was a dumb thing to say. Dumb thing to say, Goyer. Anyway. Um, so that is, uh, I believe we have, uh, largely exhausted our, uh, time here on issue three of the, uh, of the Four Color Fanboys podcast, but really I have to say this was, uh, a lot of good stuff covered and, uh, uh, thank you for, uh, scintillating, uh, comic book, uh, yes, comic book, uh, uh, geek out. Uh, so, until next time, I'm Brian Zeno. You can catch me elsewhere on the Podwits podcast at podwits.com. And I'm Al Sedano, and you can catch me on Resurrections and Adam Warlock podcast, which can be found at resurrectionsadamwarlock.tumblr.com. And uh, uh, you can find us at fourcolor.podwits.com. We're part of the Podwits podcast network. And uh, also, oh, brief promotion, uh, check me out June 2nd, uh, the uh, episode of the Resurrections Adam Warlock podcast that will be released June 2nd. I'll be guest starring on, talking uh, all things... Adam, well, specifically Marvel premiere number one. Yes, episode number eight. Uh, episode number eight of the uh, Resurrections podcast. So check that out. Check them all out, but check that one out because oh, you'll yeah. hear my dulcet tones. Yes, yeah, so if you enjoyed this, then <laughs> although probably let's talk about, you know, other thoughts. stuff. Yeah, other stuff and more talk about Adam Warlock. And uh, yeah, uh, and uh, hopefully we'll be on iTunes. If not by the time this is released, then within the next uh, couple of weeks. So keep checking iTunes for us. And uh, we'll see you next month uh, for uh, the next issue of the Four Color Fanboys podcast. See ya.